Okay, we are in the epistle of 1 John, and uh, 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, we read, And that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy uh, may be full. So we can have a joy-filled fellowship with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, um, I don't know if you guys think about this kind of stuff, but I kind of do. But uh, when John wrote this first epistle uh, to the church, this was toward the close of the first century. Almost uh, 60 years had gone by since the Lord's ascension into heaven. So almost 60 years had gone by. And uh, Jesus is now sitting on the right hand of the Father in glory. So for some 60 years, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ had been preached uh, and has covered the Roman Empire and even beyond the environs of the Roman Empire into other places. Uh, Many people had been saved. Uh, Many churches had been planted throughout the empire. And uh, so it just it just has it just has spread. And by this time, uh, some of the great servants of the Lord, such as Paul and Peter and the other apostles, have already passed on to glory. And John is the last surviving apostle, the last surviving apostle. And um, these men have impacted the lives of men such as, as Titus and Silas and Timothy. And Titus and Silas and Timothy had gone out and they've preached that very same gospel and they've passed on uh, to faithful men the very things that uh, was passed on to them, like it says in 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So John is, is writing to those folks who are the recipients of this gospel. They have heard the truth. Uh, They've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to them uh, from men such as Paul and Peter and Timothy and Silas. And I, I think that even some of the folks here that John is writing to, it's very, very possible that some of these individuals that John is writing to has actually seen Jesus or had heard Jesus. Um, you know, there's some folks that may not think that, but it's, there's a possibility that there are some folks like John who has seen the Lord and has heard the Lord Jesus themselves personally, but the majority of the people are like you and us, you and me, not you and us, you and I. I've never seen Jesus, right? I've never handled Jesus, I've never touched Jesus, but yet I believe in Jesus. So, Uh, These people are very much like us, and we're very much like these people. We've heard the good news, we've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have believed the truth unto salvation. Not only have we believed the truth unto salvation, but this truth also flourishes. It's it's flourishing in these these people's lives, and hopefully, prayerfully, it's flourishing in, in our own lives as well. In 1 John 2.21, he says, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. So John is writing to these folks who have been discipled in the doctrines of the faith. They know 
who it is and what they believe. And therefore, John is writing to these folks who know the truth. And he's telling these folks, because you know the truth, you can experience joy in having fellowship with God. The same thing is true for us. The same thing is true for us. Sadly, though I'm afraid, sadly, many of us do not take advantage of this. And so we are content to not pursue this blessed fellowship that we can have with the Father and the Son. So that's why John is writing. He's writing to encourage us to do that, to pursue having fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Now, when he says here in 1 John chapter 3, um, about no, uh, chapter three, I'm sorry, not chapter three. But when he's writing here, he's you know he talked, he's writing to these these folks um, in First John two twenty one because you know because you know the truth. Uh, that word know is kind of an interesting word. So on your worksheet, uh, it's interesting to me that this word know encompasses is the word encompasses everything that John had mentioned in the first three verses of chapter 1. Which is kind of neat if you stop and think about it. Because what John is saying is his, was his, I hate to use the word experience, but what was John's experience can be our experience as well. In that we can fellowship with Jesus Christ. It refers to the assurances of what John wrote about when he wrote, We have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. Now we may not see with our eyes, and we may not handle, and we may not look upon Jesus, but we can still have that fellowship. That's what he's saying. So on your worksheet, this knowing is the possessing of an intimate knowledge of the word of life. Possessing of an intimate knowledge of the word of life. And this intimacy is only made possible by being born of the Spirit unto salvation. John 3, 6-7 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, this fellowship is yours to have with the Father. This fellowship is yours to have with the Father. So on your worksheet, this intimate knowledge of the truth of that eternal life is beyond the knowing of facts, but rather the very nature of this knowledge changes the hearts and minds of those who know the truth. Changes the hearts and minds of those who know the truth. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, again, you know, there wasn't a lot of fireworks, there wasn't a lot of fanfare that went on in my life. And though we do hear of testimonies of folks who claim, you know, that such things took place and all that kind of stuff, but I do know this for a fact, that when I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, a change did take place. A change in my attitude, a change in my thinking, a change in my priorities. Now some of this may have been slow in coming, but that change had been initiated. 
a change had been initiated. And the more I read God's word, the more this change took place. Does that make sense? Can you testify to that very same thing? Hopefully you can. If you're truly born again, you should be able to. And so it's more than just facts. It's more than just knowing. And what I am applying about facts is that one can know a lot about the Bible. I mean, they can. They can become very skilled in knowing a lot about the Bible. But the sad thing is this. You need a... Yeah, it's right back here behind Dina. That's okay. But the sad thing about it is that you can yeah, you can know a lot about the Bible, but you could you can never come to know the God of the Bible. And that's really a tragedy. That's really a tragedy. I remember when I was a brand new believer in the Lord, one of the verses that scared me was Second Timothy three seven, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I mean, you can pursue in your learning, you can pursue your knowledge, but if you fail to come to know the, the author of the book, what good does that knowledge do you? It does you no good. And I've met men who can slice it and dice it and even Julie, Julian fry the Word of God intellectually, but they're as dead in the spirit as, as, as the lost men that they are. In fact, there was a fellow that I used to work with that was that way. Very intelligent man. Extremely intelligent man. And he, he could talk the book, but he, did, he didn't have a clue. He didn't have a clue who, you know, who the book was all about. Who the book was all about. I think later on in life he, he came to that realization, but for a long time it was all intellectual. It was all intellectual. Uh, this knowledge that we can have that John is writing about here is an intimacy that is a result of the new birth. It is a result of the new birth, like a child who runs to its parent. You know, uh, I watch my grandkids, you know, and, and uh, they run to mom and dad. I mean, there's that, there's that connection. Is there that connection with you and your heavenly Father? Is that there? Is that is there? Uh, um, so, like a child clinging to a, a salvation, uh, characterized by a desire to mature or to grow up. You know that was that that was my thing. I wanted I wanted to grow up, and I knew it was more than just knowing stuff about the Bible. I wanted to mature. I wanted to grow up. It's an intimacy that's not content with a salvation that delivers you from condemnation, but it's a, it's a, it's a salvation that draws you into communion with the Father. That's what John is talking about here. Do you have that desire to be in communion with the Father. Is it there? Is it there? It's that seed sown in the soil of the heart that has been germinated by faith. It sends its roots deep into the soil of truth and now it's reaching up for the sun. It's reaching up for the sun. It wants to reach up toward the sun. Is is there that desire in one's heart? So on your worksheet, 
those who know it have not just placed their very soul's safekeeping in that truth, but that truth is proved out in the life of the believer. Ephesians 6.14 says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. It's little wonder when Paul mentions the armor of God that the first thing he begins with is our loins being girt about with truth. So on your worksheet, truth is what holds everything in place in the walk and warfare of the believer. There's so much going on today in Christianity that is not based in truth. It's like they've taken that belt of truth and thrown it aside. You can't do that. You can't do that. So on your worksheet, it is this truth, alive and well and active in the lives of these believers, that John reiterates throughout this epistle as he teaches on the light, the life, and the love that is the assurances, is the word, of our being in fellowship with God. Now this isn't on your worksheet, but this is a, this is a truth. The key to truth being alive and active in the lives of believers is the quality of fellowship that these believers will maintain with the Father and with His Son. Let me say that again. The key to truth being alive and active in the lives of these believers is the quality of fellowship that these believers maintain with the Father and with His Son. You see, it's up to us, too. It's up to us, too. I, 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 it disturbs me when I hear some of my brothers and sisters talk about as though they have no part in this as though it's all God and I'm just waiting for God to move and I'm just waiting for God this and I'm waiting and and that's true to a point because there is some things that we can't do on our own but if we don't maintain our fellowship with the father and with the son you know then that truth will not be alive and active in our life and that's what he's encouraging us to do that's what he's encouraging us to do That's what Paul is saying about stand there for. You have to maintain that fellowship with the Father. If you want that truth to be alive and active in your life, you have to maintain that fellowship. You are responsible for that. And John is exhorting these believers to do the very same thing. He's telling them to stand therefore against the lies and the deceptions of the many deceivers and the Antichrist that are infiltrating the church. Because there are a lot of folks out there who are, quite frankly, spilling out nothing but lies and deceit. Jesus warned his disciples about these wolves in sheep's clothing in Matthew 7.15. He says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. I think that's one of the signs of the end times, is these ravening wolves are going to start becoming more and more prevalent. The Apostle Paul gave warning as well in Acts 20.29. He says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. You see, the danger lies in that the these false teachers, these wolves, blend in so well among the believers in the church. You know, they come in all polished and slick and smart. And it's really difficult to tell the tares from the wheat sometimes. John writes to the believers with the purpose of assuring them that they can have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, but there is a threat to our fellowship. And I believe this threat has just been compounded, especially in our own days, because of the Laodicean church age that we live in. I don't know if you've heard Brian say this, but I remember saying it in a a church that I used to attend. Uh, The saying was, we want to be Philadelphian believers in the Laodicean church age. In other words, we want, a, we want a heart like the Philadelphian believers. It's hot toward God and not lukewarm. So on your worksheet, our own fellowship faces a serious threat from a foe that is jealous of our fellowship, hates our fellowship, and seeks to disrupt it or destroy it altogether. There are, the, there are those out there who are actually jealous of what we have, folks. It may not seem like it, but they are. They're jealous. And this particular foe has been doing it ever since the garden. Right? Ever since the garden. So on your worksheet, the threat seeks to deprive us of the full potential of the joy that is the fruit of our fellowship through corruption or misdirection Get us focused on things that we shouldn't be focused on. And even seeking to destroy our fellowship, creating schisms in the body. But the enemy seeks only to steal and to destroy. So corruption, misdirection, schisms. John 10.10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. They're envious of that abundant life that's ours in Jesus Christ. He's envious of the children of light. And he hates the source of that light, and so he seeks to quench that light in our own life. And he does that through corruption and misdirection and creating schisms in the body. Sometimes we Christians argue over some of the most silliest things. That really don't mean a hill of beans as far as eternity is concerned. But by golly, we'll split a church over it. I remember years ago I heard a story of a of a church that split over a chicken wing. A chicken wing. This is a real event. And I guess the deal was uh, predestination was the big thing in this particular church. You had one group that didn't believe in it, and you had the other group that did. And so one of the deacons of the church grabbed a chicken wing out off of the pile, off of the pile of chicken that they were eating at a picnic, a church picnic, and he declared, "It is predestined by God that I eat this chicken wing." And one of the other deacons grabbed it out of his hand and says, no, it's not. And he ate the chicken wing. <laughs> and that caused a church split. We get really silly sometimes. 
But that's the aim of the many antichrists and the false teachers and the prophets. And they're in league with this spirit of error that afflicts the, the, the world today and afflicts the church today. And I think one of the biggest things that the Laodicean church will be judged for is a lack of discernment. A lack of discernment. In Revelation 3.18 it says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. You know, we need to see. We need to keep our eyes open. Did you guys get moved? Did you get totally moved? Oh. Did you get totally moved or is still... Okay, good. It's not put away yet. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. You'll be living out of boxes for a while. So not only um, has the Laodicean church become undiscerning of this time, and this is really the tragedy of it all, because they're not discerning, uh, they have embraced the spirit of this age to its own hurt. And um, I, don't, I don't know if you guys are, pay attention to this kind of stuff. I, I do. But unfortunately, the ch- many, many churches today exchange the joy that they can have in the Lord Jesus Christ and they exchange it for the joy that they can get in rooted in worldliness. And that's, that's a tragedy for the church. And that's why John says here in 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Because unfortunately, that's one of the that's one of the um, benchmarks of this church age is is that we have a tendency to love the world too much. We have a tendency to love the world too much. Hey, and I'm just as guilty as the next person. I'm just as guilty as the next person in that. That's something that we have to be aware of. That's something that we have to uh, resist and refrain from. And uh, sometimes I don't do a very good job of it. But true joy comes only from being in fellowship with the Father and with His Son. And that's what this epistle is all about, is knowing that fellowship and, and knowing, that, knowing that joy. Now in our last lesson, we considered the joy of the world that it claims to have. And we know that the world knows nothing about the joy that we know of. They may pretend that they know it, but they really do not know the joy that we that we have. Uh, in fact, the joy that the world has to offer at best is is shallow. Uh, it's dependent upon one's circumstances or one's situation. It's a it's a temporal joy. It really has no lasting quality. And really, if you stop and think about it, I listened to a preacher last night on this. But if you stop and think about it, the joy that the world offers will bring no comfort at the graveside. It will not bring any comfort at the graveside. We also learn that the world hates the true source of joy. Who is the true source of joy? Jesus Christ. Now, does the world love Jesus Christ? No, it does not. In fact, what, did it, what was it that I said in my last lesson? The world prefers a dead Jesus over a living Jesus. They like the babe in the manger. But they don't like 
a king with a crown and a sharp sword in his hand. They don't like to them. That's not that's not their picture of Jesus. Not love. Yeah, it's not love. It's not. It's in other words, they can't control that Jesus. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I said last last week. They like a dead Jesus over a living Jesus, a ruling Jesus. And they don't like those who identify with that kind of a Jesus. They don't they don't like someone who identifies with a ruling Jesus, with a living resurrected Jesus. They just have issues with somebody like that. So the conclusion is, as, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're not to look for this, to this world's system for our joy, right? Because this whole world lieth in wickedness. And when I'm, when I'm talking about world, I'm not talking about God's creation. I'm talking about the system, the political, the social, the religious system of this world. It lieth in wickedness because of the spirit of error who's behind the whole thing. So I want to talk about, get off of that gloomy stuff, which is real. It's it's a reality. It's something we cannot ignore, something we should not sweep under the carpet. But what I want to talk about is uh, is the joy that we as believers um, can have and can can enjoy and and experience in having fellowship uh, with the Father and with His Son. That's what he's. That's what he says here. First John three through four. So on your worksheet, the first thing about this joy is it is a supernatural joy. It's a supernatural joy. So on your study guide, it is a supernatural joy because the source of this joy is beyond what this world knows of or ever can experience. So it would be the word beyond. It's well well out of the realm of this worldly system. Um, I, know, I know you guys are familiar with this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So right there, it's way beyond the capability of unregenerate man to comprehend, understand, get a handle on, even know what we're talking about. Now, Paul does not blame uh, the natural man for his inability to to receive the things of God. He's just simply making an assessment. An accurate assessment of a lost man, of an unregenerate man. Um, unregenerate man is limited. Is very, very limited in regards to those things that we know and we experience and we believe in. I mean, how many times have you heard Brian... Uh, teach that when he would read the Word of God, it didn't make any sense to him, but when he received Christ as his Savior, all of a sudden it was like somebody flipped the light on. I can testify to the same thing, and I hope you guys can testify to the same thing. You know, when I first read the Bible as a lost man, it scared me. It did. It It terrified me. The very first book that I ever read out of the Bible was the book of Revelations. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the fellow who was witnessing to me at TWA says, well, check out the book of Revelations. I said, well, where's it at? He says, it's the last book in the Bible. So I read it. Absolutely terrified me. I said, oh me, oh my. I remember asking you why you were starting man is a spiritual being okay even your hardest of atheists will recognize this about man that there is a spiritual aspect uh, to us but uh, man's spirit in its unregenerate unregenerate state is just simply incapable of knowing God intimately like we as born again children of God can know God intimately it, it's, it's just not there it's just not there only a born again believer is able to call out Abba Father in truth because the spirit of God dwells within them okay now an unregenerate man he could say Abba Father all he wants but there's no truth there there's no truth there. Romans 8.15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, capital S, little s, or lowercase s, that we are the children of God. It's because of the Spirit, capital S, making our spirit lowercase s, alive unto God. That's why we cry out, Abba, Father. The unregenerate man does not have the capital S spirit dwelling within them. So they can't cry out, Abba, Father. They simply cannot do it. This is that unction and anointing that John writes about in 1 John, 1 John 2.20. But you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. I know God because God dwells within me. 1 John 2.27 But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And you need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie and even hath taught you, you shall abide in him. I know that I am saved because I have him within me. There's that intimate knowledge of his presence in my life. I was a... I was aware of this even before I knew anything about what the Bible said about it. Later on, when I started studying the Word of God and realized, you know, I'm sealed unto the day of redemption, I started learning all of these things about what took place. But when I got saved, I knew there was a difference. There was awareness of God like there never was before. It may have been a very dim awareness, but it was there. And it just grew. And this anointing or unction, this is not some special anointing or unction that sets a particular teacher or preacher aside that gives them some sort of diplomatic immunity from being um, called out for their false teaching. Right? And I've heard that claim by some of the biggest heretics on the planet. When people call them out for their heresy and they throw this verse out there that you shouldn't touch the anointed. Baloney, if you're full of hot air, I'm going to touch you all over the place. (laughs) 
But this this is true of every born-again believer in Jesus Christ. I don't care what level or what stage of your maturity you are spiritually. It's true of every one of us. We all have this unction. We all have this anointing of the Spirit. We all have the Spirit of Christ dwelling within us. Because we're all part of the family of God. We're all part of the household of God. So, after Yes, ma'am. Are there levels of anointing? Levels of anointing. I mean, say, do you have more anointing than I do because you're the teacher of the class or because you know the Bible more? I don't know if there's levels of anointing, right? There are... Uh, gifts of the Spirit and if you receive a particular gift and you exercise that gift and the Spirit of God is going to you know, help you exercise that spirit, that gift but as far as the anointing is concerned I don't have any more of the Holy Spirit than you do and you don't have any more of the Holy Spirit than I do that's what I thought yeah. yeah you do, you hear a lot of that you know, that makes it sound like it's more and that's foolishness yes Ron I think it uh, bears mentioning the deeds and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Yeah. And because the deeds of the Nicolaitans was that there was a quote-unquote priest class yep. and a quote-unquote laity class. Exactly. And that is, Jesus hates that stuff. And that's not only true in the Roman Catholic Church. That's true in your Baptist churches. That's true in your charismatic churches. That's true in all churches. Because you get these people who are so full of themselves that they try to elevate themselves, just like what Juan's pointing out, and trying to make this separation. No, there's, there's, there's different, I don't know if levels, but you've got folks who are more mature than other folks. You've got folks that are exercising their gifts. You know, I, I don't know, you know all of that, but no. You have as much of the Spirit as I have, and vice versa. Okay? And there's false teachings out there that if you don't do this, yeah. you don't have yeah. anointing. Exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah, that's, that second blessing, which I'm going to touch on, and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So I think everybody's tracking. Okay? So yes, yeah, so so we all have this anointing, we all have this unction, we all have the Spirit of Christ living within us. Uh, that was true of every believer from the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. Okay, and it will be true of every believer up to the time of the rapture. Okay, so that's it's, that's just true of the church. That's one of those that's one of those unique things about the about the Church of Jesus Christ, about the body of Christ. That just sets us aside or sets us apart from from everything else. We're we're, we're unique. We are unique. Yeah. So the unregenerate, regardless of the religious garb they might wear or the doctrinal tenet they might claim or message of tolerance for all religions they may tout, uh, they don't know anything of this intimacy that even the newest born-again believer knows about. Let me tell you something. Even the newest born-again believer has more that on the Pope <laughs> has more on the Pope than you know than they might understand at that time. Galatians four six says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba Father. That is an amazing 
passage. That is an amazing passage. And it's for this reason the world hates those who have this intimacy. It's not you it hates. It's who's inside you. And because you identify with him who's inside you, that's why they hate you. That's why they hate you. And the world cannot fathom this joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Because it's not there. It's simply not there. The world is incapable. The unregenerate man is incapable of knowing this joy. Therefore, the joy that we know of and the joy that we talk about and the joy that we share with one another in the good times and the bad times, they think it's all foolishness. I remember reading a history book one time and that was one of the criticisms of of the Christians in that day. And this was back many hundreds of years. And this one particular individual who was observing the Christians in his time, he thought he thought Christians had a mark of madness about them. Because even in prison, they expressed joy. And to him, this was just unfathomable. He couldn't understand why even being persecuted and being in prison and being in chains, these people called Christians could still experience and express joy. He thought they were crazy. He thought they were mad. He thought they were foolish. So it is. It's foolishness to the world. So on your study sheet, the world will deny its existence outright, this joy. They'll deny it outright. Or it will attempt a cheap imitation of this joy through its religiosity and philosophies. Come on, guys. The season we're in right now, don't we see that going on right now? They're offering a cheap imitation. You know, it's funny to me when they talk about the real meaning of Christmas. And when they talk about the real meaning of Christmas, it has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing to do with Jesus Christ. So on your study guide, the world acknowledges the spiritual side of man, but being that the spirit of lost man is separated from God, that's what it means by dead and trespasses in Ephesians 2.1, it does not mean like your Calvinists that it's inert, it's just separated from God. Okay? And I believe knows of the need of the spiritual aspect of man. So on your worksheet, the world seeks to offer its own solution to cater to the spiritual aspect through its various religions and spiritually sounding means of meditation and other mystic exercises. Check out Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. You know, it's interesting to me that modern Gnostics will move heaven and earth to ban the Bible and prayer and the gospel from schools, calling it intolerant or exclusive, or even it's foolish to believe in a risen Savior or a a man that came claiming to be God in the flesh. But this world will open its doors to any other form of spirituality. What was it like before um, solution? Uh, Separated. As an example, and I know you guys are aware of this, because we see it on television. 
Uh, meditation is viewed as a viable subject to be taught our children in school today. I've seen that on the news report on, on our own in our own city. One advocate for teaching meditation in school, this is what he writes. He says, teaching children meditation at school will allow them to carry forward such benefits in which they feel more in control of their emotions and increasingly grounded when faced with inevitable internal and external obstacles, thereby gearing them for greater resilience in their academic careers and beyond. Sounds good, doesn't it? And like I said, I've seen this very thing on the news. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. And that's what meditation is all about. John 1.5 says, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You know, instead of directing our children to the true source of joy which is Jesus Christ, the light that shineth in the darkness, what do they direct them to focus on? Yeah. They, they direct them to focus on self through meditation as the source of their joy and the source of their strength. And we live in a, and we live in a culture of self-affirmation and self-empowerment. And if you speak against this, or, or you, you know, then you're denying someone. And in fact, in some cases, it's even considered as being abusive. You're being abusive. You see, the problem the world refuses to acknowledging is this. Without the Spirit of God dwelling within you, you don't have that light that you're looking for when you're looking within for your strength and for your joy. You know what is inside of an unregenerate man's heart? Darkness. Darkness. That's what's inside an unregenerate man's heart. Romans one twenty one says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They're looking into a dark place for light that is not there. Ephesians 4.18 says, Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God to the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. So when they're teaching meditation for these kids to look inside, they're looking inside where only darkness exists. And there is no light. There is no light there. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What is Proverbs 18.2 says? A fool had no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. So these children are being directed to look into a place that is dark and deceitful. There is no light. There is no strength. They're looking for truth where only deceit is to be found. Matthew 6:22 to 23 says the light of the body is the eye if therefore thine eye be single the whole body shall be full of light but if thine eye be evil thy whole body shall be full of darkness if therefore the light is that is in thee be darkness how great is that darkness and that's what the world offers they're offering darkness in place of light where do we get our light 
It's not a trick question, guys. It's just sitting there in your lap. Hopefully. Psalms 119, 104. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Psalms 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. They're being denied the light. They're told to look inside where there's darkness for light. Psalm 36, 9 says, For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. The word of God provides both light and light for our eyes. But if men reject that light that God has provided them, then what other option is left to them? If you reject light, what other option is left? Darkness. Darkness. They're looking for strength where only weakness is found. Now this is kind of interesting. In Jeremiah 17.9 where it says, uh, where the heart is desperately wicked. In other places in the Bible it describes an incurable wound or a sickness that can't be healed. Are cured. Jeremiah 30, verse 12, For thus saith the Lord, Thy bruise is incurable, desperately wicked, and thy wound is grievous. Jeremiah 30, 15, Why criest thou for thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable, for the multitude of thine iniquity. Because thy sins were increased, I have done these things unto thee. Micah 1 9, for who wound is incurable? For it has come unto Judah, Judah, he has come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. They have a sick, incurable heart. The unregenerate man does. And that's what he's looking to for his life and for his strength. The modern Gnostic attempts to to dip clean water from a polluted and broken cistern is what they're doing. Instead of going to the water of life, which is in the Word of God, they're dipping it out of their heart. You guys tracking with what I'm saying here? That's why meditation isn't going to work. I mean, unless you meditate on the on the word of God, then it does work. But not if you're looking into your own heart. The modern Gnostic, both religious and secular, will, will embrace his own form of spirituality. Te- teaching that it's just as viable as any other. But when you talk to them about worshiping the one true God in spirit and truth, they look at you like you're some sort of idiot. Or you're intolerant. Or you're exclusive. It's totally unacceptable. John 3.19, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And here's the problem. Men love darkness rather than light. Okay, so I use the word supernatural. And and yes, some of you are going to say, well, you're not going to find the word supernatural in the Bible. Well, don't be too hard on me for that. I even hesitated using the term supernatural because the world had hijacked that word to, to put its own twist on it. 
But I use the word because it speaks of that which is way above and beyond the natural man's understanding or ability to comprehend. That's why I said supernatural, above the natural man. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So on your study guide, the natural, the natural man is your blank, knows nothing of this joy, that John assures us is ours through fellowship with God, and the natural world knows nothing of this joy in its religions, sciences, or philosophies. They have darkened hearts, they have blinded minds, and therefore they are incapable of understanding what you as a born-again child of God understands. So don't let anybody talk down to you about that. You've got more on them than they realize. And sometimes even we realize. And unfortunately, in a church like this, we sometimes take that for granted. And we ought to be careful about that. The Pharisees and religious leadership in Jesus' day were these kind of men. They were unregenerate. They had eyes, and they could only see the end to the end of their noses. <laughs> they couldn't see the light that was standing right before them. And so one day they demanded Jesus of Jesus. They said in Luke 17, 20 through 21, and, and, and uh, when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It's kind of like what he said to, to um, Nicodemus. You must be born again. <laughs> right? They, they, they didn't have it. They didn't have it. Even the Apostle Paul, who himself was a Pharisee, he came to see what his Jewish brethren could not see. He said in Romans fourteen seventeen, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you pay attention to the religions of this world, that's exactly how they treat the kingdom, as though it's some sort of tangible something or other. Meat and drink. So on your study guide, we who know the truth are no longer citizens of this earth. For we have been delivered from this world and its corruptions and have been translated into the kingdom of the Son through the new birth. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Clearly, when Jesus was praying to his Father in John 17, listen to what he said about his disciples in John 17, 13 through 18. He says, Now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. That's you and me right now, folks whether you want to believe it or not. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. We've got a job still to do. That's why we're not taken out of the world. We've got to get people into the lifeboats, like I mentioned last week. 
He says in verse 16, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. We have a job to do. We have a job to do. And Jesus clearly says that they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And that's why the world doesn't get along with us. Because we operate under a different set of rules. We have a different priority. We're going by a different agenda. And we don't agree with theirs, or we shouldn't. So on your study guide, it is the word of life that is the difference maker. And the better we as God's people comprehend this and trust in his word, the fuller will be our joy and fellowship with God as we are sanctified from from the world's influences upon our hearts and minds through the knowledge of his truth. I think sometimes that's the cause of our misery is because we let the world influence us too much. But yet this is the vantage point that we have over the world that God has given to his kids, his kids, (laughs) his children to live by. John, First uh, John four four says, "Ye, ye are of God, little children, have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world." That's a big vantage point that we have over the world system. Greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. First John five four: For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Yeah, there may be times that we're down and out, but we are really the winners. It may not seem like it at some times, but we are. We're the victors because of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, 1, 2, 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. Where is your affection set on? That's a big. That's a big deal. Now, there's nothing mysterious or mystical or magical. That's what your false teachers want to tell you. This is just plain Bible. Just plain Bible. Colossians 2, 6 through 7. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How did you receive Jesus? By faith? Walk by faith. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught. As you've been taught. This is the realm and reality of the new creature in Christ. This is, this is where the born-again believer in God lives. This is their strength. This is their joy. This is the difference maker in the believer's life. This is what we have over the unregenerate. Faith in the living word and faith in the written word, that's the solid ground that we walk on and everybody else is trudging through sand. 
1 John 2, 5, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. You want to experience joy in your life? Walk like Jesus walked. An intimate, close fellowship with the Father. In obedience to his will. That's your strength, that's your joy. That's your strength, and that's your joy. And this is something that the natural man has no clue about. This is something the natural man has no clue about. So your joy comes from walking in the light as he is in the light. Your strength comes from walking in the light as he is in the light. Don't look inside (laughs) your heart. Go to the word of God and trust in it. Amen? All right, I'm going to stop right there. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord God, that we indeed are a peculiar people. And we know that we are a peculiar people because...